All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalm 40 and 41, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Psalms 40 and 41. We'll finish up the first book of Psalms today. They're broken up into three sections, and this will be the ending of our first section here. Um, quite a day to celebrate today. Um, uh, September, uh, yeah, exactly. With the overturning of Roe versus Wade, it's just a wonderful, wonderful victory. And you want to enjoy that moment. Um, we know there's more to work to do, um, especially locally, um, especially now that it's been turned over to states. Very proud of our state. Very excited that the direction we're taking. Um, but um, that can change. Um, so voting is very important, as we can tell, or we're reaping the benefits of the 2016 election. And uh, the proper vote was what got this uh, to be overturned. And so um, very, very happy for that. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a time where God can actually begin to perhaps heal our land. Um, it would be hard for him to bless a country that would continue to do what it was been doing for the last 50 years by killing babies in the womb. And uh, this is an opportunity for us um, to stay his hand um, because we are deserving of some kind of wrath if we continue to walk in that direction, which we've now changed course. And so that's a very good thing. Um, so we'll continue to pray. We'll continue to vote appropriately um, with a biblical worldview. Um, and it's, a, it's just a wonderful day. So uh, very... Uh, it's almost surreal, you know, never would have thought. And I don't know if we can probably grasp how big a deal it is. I think we're all, oh, that's great. And oh, we've been praying a long time. But um, this is equal to the Emancipation Proclamation, if you don't grasp that. To live at a time like this, when we no longer kill babies in the womb, um, or it's no longer legal anyway, federally, that's a huge deal. Now, the Emancipation Proclamation did much more than that. It actually went f further and said it is illegal. Um, for slavery. Um, and that would be the next step. And we hope that that takes place. But um, it's a tremendous time to live. Um, and it's an amazing victory um, for, uh, well, for the innocent. So, all right. Psalm 40, let's get into it. Um, David writes a beautiful, thankful song to God. He is going through a difficult time with sickness. Um, he is... Uh, Thankful for what God has done in his life, but is also uh, in need of God all the more now. And I had this conversation with someone recently. In fact, it was last, uh, I think it was Friday is when we had this conversation. Um, but the further along you are with the Lord, as David is one of the older saints, um, you'll discover more and more about yourself that's frightening. As you read about Paul and his walk with the Lord, as he grew closer and closer to the Lord and understood the scriptures more and more in light of salvation through Jesus Christ, he was more aware of the sin nature that he had. And that's why he ended his life or ended his ministry with, I'm the chief of sinners. He realized that. When you first get saved, God took care of a lot of things. So thankful for him. And then you realize, oh, how much he's taken care of and how big the difference is between your righteousness and his righteousness. Um, David understands that as well. And as you get older in the Lord, you realize how little you can rely on yourself and how, how much more you need to rely on Christ. That's maturity. And so David, although having victory, 
in his trials and tribulations realizes and in his sins that surround him and the understanding of his iniquities is the word he uses, um, how much more he needs to rely on God. And so as you grow older in the Lord, you don't get, the, get, get into the swing of things. You don't get a handle on things. You begin to let go more and more and more as you grow in the Lord. And so this is a great psalm for that. Verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of being stuck in the mud. I remember as a kid going across this dried up pond, well, you thought it was, and a little one, nothing like what you see around here, but a pretty small one. On the way home from school, we, we three boys thought we'd make it across, you know. Well, I stepped in one foot and didn't commit and pulled back out, and there was my shoe, you know, and so now I'm one shoe. And another kid says, I got that, and he ran, and he made it across, but left both shoes in his first two steps, by the time we were done, there were five shoes there. I was the only one with one left. And then this older kid comes by, you know, this older kid. He's one of those kids that is super athletic. You know, he'd be on the playground equipment doing things you weren't supposed to do, you know, but he would run over. He says, I got it. And he would run and grab all five shoes and made it all the way across with his shoes. It was amazing. <coughs> what does that have to do with this? Well, us three little kids were just sitting there going, our moms and dads are going to kill us, first of all. Our shoes are in there. You know, that was when we had pro kids. I got the blue and yellow pro kids, and that's the only tennis shoe available at the time, and that's how old I am. And there it is, sitting in the, in the mire, you know. It's nice when you get on the hard, rocky surface where we should have been to begin with. We should have been on the gravel road walking home, but we didn't. We found that way. And David is very appreciative of God stepping in and taking him out of that being stuck in that mud. His life wasn't moving. Um, he felt, and if you've ever been in that position where actually you're in the mud, you feel that's all you can focus on is where you are and how stuck you are. Um, and to have someone like the Lord come by and take you out of there and set you on solid rocky ground where you can walk freely and move is quite a, it's a, it's a relief. You no longer have to be concerned with where you are. You can just concentrate on where you're going. You know, that's a wonderful thing. And that's all David is saying. And many of us should be able to um, relate to this in our lives. You get into tough situations in your life, and that's all you can think about at the moment. It, 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 it takes over your life. That's all you have. You cannot, I can't worry about a five-year plan. I can't worry about what I'm going to do next month. I, today, really has enough troubles of its own. I can't think of anything else. And when God delivers you from something like that and helps you out of it, you put your faith in him, your trust in him, you cry out to him, it's a wonderful thing to see his deliverance, to get your pro head back in your shoe, in your hand, you know, and rinse it off really quick and see if mom will notice the discoloration between the two, you know, or hope she doesn't. God is good. And that's all God, that's all David is saying. He's put a new song in my mouth. What was the old song? Probably like, woe is me, God help me, please, you know. But the new song is praise and worship. For 50 years, we've been praying and asking God to overturn Roe versus Wade, to stop the slaughter of the innocent. 
It, it's unbelievable that it took place. You just never, ever thought it would happen. This is it. This is one more step in the grave, a nail in the coffin for our country, and we're just going to continue down this horrible road until we actually become and look like everything Sodom and Gomorrah was. And we were going, we're going in that direction. This year showed it more than any other, other year. And here we take a step back, a reprieve from our direction. Um, it puts a new song in your, in your mouth. It doesn't make us complacent. It doesn't make us, oh, that's it. We can, we're done. Thank goodness. Hallelujah. You know, no, it's, it's a constant war. Just like slavery is a constant war. There's, there's more slaves now than there ever has been in the history of the world. It's just underground for the most part and not so underground in other countries. And so it's a constant battle that we battle. We always push back against evil, always push back against darkness and should. But David is going to take this time, and I, I want to take this time this morning also to just enjoy the victory. Enjoy being taken out of the mud, set on a solid place, a firm foundation. That's a, that's a wonderful place to be once in a while, you know? I'm all for war and battle and struggles and trying, but I've also like, it's nice to have a hot dog and a Coke on the 4th of July and celebrate some freedom or something, you know, and to spend a Sunday morning in victory. And we have that today. It's a wonderful place to be. And so God's put a new song in our hearts and in our mouths as well. And here's the hope that David has at the end, that many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing to see what's taking place in our country right now. The side that's for it, the side that is vehement, Jane's revenge, you know, is unbelievably frothed at the mouth because of what's taking place. They can't believe. And in our chat that we have for our servants here at Calvary, I warned us about that, just to be in prayer and continue, not to be, you know, a, a downer. But to be ready and understand that the enemy is more stirred up and more angry now than he ever has been before. Just like we see in the book of Revelation, when the Satan knows that his time is short, we're going to see hell on earth unleashed. We're going to see him, Satan, going after the innocent, going after the believers, going after anybody, any soul, any innocent out there that he can find more than ever. David is hoping, and he, I think it's true, that when they see it, a lot of people fear. But a lot of people's fear turns to trusting in the Lord. My goodness, you have a big God. I didn't think that could be possible, but there it is. There it is. The miracle stands before us today. It's a huge thing. And that's what David's hope is. Verse 4, blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. I like the twist here. I always like the verse that, that speaks of God's thoughts towards us are precious and as the sands of the sea. I like that. But if we were to recount all the things that he's ever done for us, we wouldn't be able to count them either. That's a wonderful statement that David makes. I like to make that statement too. I, I try to think of things. I try to make a list. I try not to always come to God in prayer and say, uh, you know, God, thank you for my food and my daily provision. And now that we're done with that, here's what I need. Here's what I want. You know, I'm trying to work on making my prayer life a little more full of gratitude 
and not so much gimme, you know, kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with gimme. He understands, and I make, I'm just, of course, we need to seek the Lord and trust in him and ask him. You, you have not because you ask not. When you ask, you ask amiss. We, we understood in the scriptures. But I want to spend more time in gratitude for what he has done. Because if I focus on the dark and the negative all the time in my life, I don't realize and I miss the beauty and all the things God has done for me. And David is just simply saying that if I was to write these things all down or declare them, it wouldn't be enough time. wouldn't be enough time. One of the gospel writers said that as well. If we were to write all the things that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough ink and paper. You know, the skies would be full. You know, John knew him. John always referred to him himself as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He just fully understood that. When John would be taken around on his deathbed, they would lay him down and he would preach. He would just preach love, love, love. He just fully understood God's love, you know, and experienced it and was blessed by it, you know, and was able to just thoroughly enjoy the presence of the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. That's maturity. David has that. Verse 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O O my God, and your law is within my heart. Um, That is a a prophecy, but also David means it for himself. So first of all, what does David mean? He says, the volume of the book. It's like it was written for me. It's like it was written about me. Everything I read about you in the law and in the Old Testament is just fantastic. And I put myself there, the volume of the book, the volume of the scroll. It's in my heart. I've placed it there. Your law is there. I live it. We talk about um, living out loud for the Lord. That's been coming up a lot here at our fellowship, just because I think that's where we are in Scripture, and, and God obviously by His Holy Spirit wants to work on that in our lives. We can at times say living out loud for God is being publicly baptized, and we've assigned that outward act as the act of confessing Jesus before men. Okay, but don't ever think that that's it. That isn't even close to it. David lived in such a way that when he walked down the hall, it was, hey, you know, the Lord is good today, isn't it? Yes. Yes, he is good. Everybody that came in contact with him, whether they wanted to or not, was going to have to listen to David talk about his Lord. That's living out loud for the Lord. There was no mistaking where David stood with Jesus or with the Father at that time, but his Savior, soon-to-be Savior, Jesus Everybody knew he was a man of God. Everybody knew what to say, what not to say around him. Everybody knew what kind of look they would get from the king as an advisor if they advised him in a way that was contrary to God's word. That's a quick way to lose your job. You know, that's living out loud for the Lord. Not just getting publicly baptized. That's a step. That's a wonderful start. But from then on, once you hit the sand of the beach and you begin to walk the rest of your life, it needs to be out loud. Make no mistake about it. Everybody needs to know you're a believer in Jesus. No no hidden Christianity. That's all David's saying. I've hidden your word in my heart. I delight to do your will. The scroll of the book is written of me. Now, the prophecy that's related to that is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. The writers of Hebrews said David was speaking of Jesus. 
at this time, prophetically speaking of the Lord, that the volume of the book, the entirety of Scripture, is written about me, Jesus Christ. You can find me from Genesis to Revelation. I'm in everywhere. I'm all the, I'm all the time. The book is my story. And so that's a prophecy. Verse 9. I have proclaimed the good news of the righteous in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. And that will make enemies, I might add. It's a divisive thing to talk about Jesus Christ. It's not a unifying thing to talk about Jesus Christ. It's divisive, and it's supposed to be. You're either for me or against me, Jesus said. He who has the Son has the Father. He who does not have the Son does not have the Father. If we have to conceal anything about the gospel or Jesus Christ in order to get along with people, that's compromise. And it's ineffective. It's ineffective to minister to people. You may get along with them that day because you haven't hurt their feelings about talking about a Savior, which means they needed to be saved from something, which insinuates that they have sin. That's the idea behind avoiding that conversation. I don't want them to think that I'm judging them. I don't know how you live your life as a saved person from hell, from your own sins, because of what Christ has done, and not proclaim that. It's like being brought out of a, a, a mine collapse, you know, three, three miles down into the earth or however far down they go. I'm standing up top saying, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Let me cover your eyes. I don't want you to, I want you to think that I've been set free yet. It's ridiculous. No, come out. You can come out, climb the ladder. Here's the ladder. Here's the way out. Here's the only way out. No, we're not going to cut another shaft. No, we're not going to put down another ladder. This is the ladder. This is the way. There is no other way. We provided a way. Just because you don't like the way doesn't mean there isn't one. David lives out loud. We live in a world that continually tells us, well, that's your truth. Okay. You know what? I'll concede that. We have a creator that created the heavens and the earth. And we live in that. So no matter what your truth is, his truth is the only truth that matters. We live in his environment. We live in his creation. We were made by him. For me to look at the creator and say, not so, not so. Well, it's foolish for one thing because we're actually speaking to the one who created us, telling him he's not so, which means we don't even believe it. It's amazing how much time atheists spend on talking about God when they don't believe in him. It's ridiculous. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth. Both have come out of David at the same time, I might add. Truth is fine, loving kindness is fine, but you need both to be effective, and David was. David confesses before the Lord constantly and before men constantly, and God will confess him before men. Verse 11, do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. 
Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. David's well aware that his sin is being broadcast. He understands that. Oh, little righteous shepherd boy, you know, they say under their breath or behind closed doors. And for David to be in a position of sin is a wonderful victory for them. Oh, they're so thankful. The world is evil and Satan loves it when we fall. We have, and he is described as the accuser of the brethren before the Lord. It's what he does. Night and day, Satan stands before the Lord for now and accuses the brethren of our sin. And of course, our Savior, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, all those sins have been paid for. He is the evidence. He's, the, he's sitting there as the, as the slain lamb for all those sins. So every accusation that's made and every uh, charge that's brought against us, the lamb has paid for. But it doesn't stop him from accusing. It doesn't stop him at rejoicing over our sins. The world loves it when we fail. The world loves it when a TV preacher falls. Oh, thank goodness. Wonderful, wonderful, they say. They broadcast it. And we all mourn because it's sort of an embarrassment to us. Oh, God, I thought he was going to make it. I can't believe he did such a shameful thing. We're held to a higher standard, but, but they're people. These are just people. I hate to break the news, but they've never stopped sinning. They continually sin. David is sitting here writing this beautiful psalm talking about his innumerable iniquities that he has. I, I, my iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to look up. He's, it's all around him. He's just so aware of the depravity that he is. Most of the time, he doesn't walk in that depravity. He walks in the victory and the newness of life that God has given him as a spirit-filled believer of a future Messiah. But we know from Bathsheba and Uriah and the whole incident with the, with the baby and all, we, we understand that he is capable. And there are people out there that are just looking for that sin nature to pop up in our lives and for us to blow our witness. And here's why. It's never because they're happy that you've fallen necessarily, but it's that you're no better than they are. Now, I don't know where they got that idea, if we ever come across that way, then it is our fault. But we've got to make sure that we share the gospel, that we're the ones with our hospital gowns wide open in the back, just like they are. We're just helping them put on their gown. We're all in the hospital. We're all sick. We're all being healed. We're all going to chemo to get rid of this sin in our lives. We're all letting Jesus be that restorer of our souls. None of us are better David is saying, I, I want you to do something for me, God. I want you to make them in their rejoicing. I want it to fall upon their heads. I, I want them to have mutual confusion. They're using this as an opportunity to destroy me. I want it to fall back on them. And God's very faithful to do that. I think about the judges, some good, some interesting. Samson was an interesting judge. You know, never think of him as a judge until I say it out loud, it comes out of my mouth. I always think of him as just the strong guy, you know. He's actually the anointed of God to bring Israel back to a relationship with him. He was the judge chosen by God to bring the people of Israel back to God. 
And I'm thinking he could have done a lot better, you know. But he, he chose Samson. And Samson took credit for everything his entire life until his final act. And even then, there was a hint of revenge in it, you know. And if you don't know the story, we don't have time to go over it necessarily. But Samson was a very carnal, carnal, carnal man, very and played with his relationship with God and the strength that God had given him like it, was, like it wasn't a loaded revolver, you know? He just played around with it and would dabble in sin until finally he was all the way in, loses his eyes, finds himself captive, fully weak, without God. But as his hair grew, his final act was to push down the pillars and to let the porch that it was holding the pillars were holding up to collapse and to crush those on top and below the Philistines, all the leadership. And a return to Israel took or return to God took place, but also a revenge took place of that. That's what David's asking for. I love how honest the scriptures are. That's what I love about these stories. We don't have a fantasy book that talks about Superman. It's impervious to everything, you know. We don't have a, it's not a comic book that describes these people that are indestructible. It describes a perfect God working with imperfect people, using them. It's a wonderful thing. God wants to use us. You have a testimony of your own life and what God has done with you, and people need to hear it. We need to live out loud. And you are in a sphere of influence, a circle that needs to hear about your story. That's why you're there. That's why you're in that position. And I'm not. And so-and-so's not. But you're there because they need to hear what God has done for you. You're the mouth. You're, you're the living epistle for that group. He's called us to that. We're not, David insinuates that I've got so much sin that I can't look up. And yet you need to, David. And you need to trust more in God than you ever have before, and he does. And so he asked God to deliver him. In his weakness, in his humility, in the confession of his sin, God, would you deliver me from the shame? Would you deliver me from those who try to break me down? We're trying to let evil win in this world. And David was a restraining force of that evil. And if he sins and has fallen and takes him out of the game, then there is no one to stand between this opposing force and the goal line. And so David prays. David cries out to God even more at the end of his life than he did probably at the beginning, in a different way, though, for sure. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Verse 16. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. David hopes and wants and prays for those who seek him and prays that they're filled with joy. They rejoice, that they be glad in you, not ashamed of you, not sorrowful in you, but be glad in you. Glad is different than happy. We use it the same a lot of times. I'm glad, I'm happy. But glad is regardless of the circumstances. I'm glad. Jesus was the gladdest man that ever lived. The word of God tells us that. And yet he was a man acquainted with sorrow and grief. But he was the gladdest man. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This is a 
It's not contradictory. They're, they're one and the same. David says, I'm praying for those who love your salvation and say continually, the Lord be magnified. I hope we magnify the Lord with our lives. I know I magnify the Lord for Friday. I magnify him. That was, it's supernatural. Supernatural moment. He intervened. He stepped in. Psalm 41. Blessed is he who considers the poor. Oh, I guess that ties into 40. I don't want to go too far ahead, but when verse 17, he says, I am poor and needy. Well, David is not a poor man. You know, so what he means by that is poor in spirit. And that's what, that's what verse 12 is all about. There's innumerable evils and my iniquities have overtaken me. I am in a low place. Although I'm very, very wealthy, I'm in a low place. You know, he's in a humble place. So anyway, verse 1, blessed is he who considers the poor. And that can be financial and that can be of possessions, but it can also more than likely be of those who have a poor spirit. To encourage one another when you see someone of a poor spirit, to not pass them by. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed on the earth. He will not deliver him to the will of of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. I believe that's all for the poor. But you could take that as him meaning the person who considers the poor too. Either one. Verse 4. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies, and his heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. I think he's got a specific person in mind when he says that. He does say he, not they. He starts off with that, you know. My enemies, plural, but then he focuses in on one that's particularly a bother to him. David's on his sickbed. Some guy comes in, grabs his hand. Oh, King David, how are you doing? I sure appreciate your kingship. I sure think you're the greatest. Oh, you're the wonderful. And immediately when he leaves, says he's almost dead. (laughs) You know, and tells it to all. Everything that David confided in him, he tells it to all. He's a talebearer. David knows it. God doesn't keep those things quiet. He lets people know who their enemies are in their life. He says, I just want you to heal me, God. I'm not going to him. I'm not going to people. I don't put my, I put no trust in the flesh at all. I have no confidence in that. People or myself. I come to the Lord. Be merciful to me. I'm, I'm relying on that. I'm hoping for that. Heal my soul for I've sinned against you. I need that. When you confess and God says that I forgive you, that is all mechanical for the most part. You do what you're supposed to do. You receive what you're supposed to receive. But there needs to be a healing that takes place in your heart. Because anybody that's ever received forgiveness of God knows that I know I'm forgiven. His word tells me to. And yet I don't necessarily enjoy the peace that should come from that. Still not there. I still carry it around. I still go over that moment in my mind. I'm still thinking about that sin. I know I've confessed it. I know I've laid it at his feet. I know I've received forgiveness. And yet there isn't a healing that's taken place yet. And that's what David's asking for. It's going to take work. He can forgive and forget. That's our God. That's what he does. I have a really hard time with that. 
I'm not, I mean, I'm forgetful about where my keys are, but my sin is ever present. Past, present, it's always there, you know. And what David is asking for is, I need you to heal me now. Thank you for the forgiveness. I know that I have your mercy, but would you heal me? Heal me. And he's asking for that. That's a good prayer. There are those who are saying these things about me. When will he die and his name perish? Just waiting and itching for him to just go away. Why is that? What takes a person to that place? David is in a a horrible king. I mean, considering, I mean, maybe the people want a perfect king. Like, I have a hard time seeing a righteous person who would love a perfect kingdom say things about David like this, where David has slipped up for sure and has sinned greatly in many areas, but still is a lover of God and a man after God's own heart. For a believer to look at another believer like that and say, oh, I just wish he'd die. I can't wait till the next one comes. That's not right. That's not biblical. What that person should be doing, whoever's visiting David, should be praying for David, strengthening him, holding up his arms, trying to encourage him, you know, not trying to set him on fire. This person's trying to set him on fire. So it tells you their motives, and it tells you where their heart is. Verse 7, all who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. This is someone specific. Now, Jesus uses this exact same scripture to describe Judas. He who eats bread with me, he's my betrayer. It's the same thing. That's who this is to David. He's a betrayer, whoever this person is. That's a concern. And you have those people in your lives. I wish you didn't. I wish there wasn't as much pain and suffering and things that go on in this world. I really wish there wasn't. Um, But there is. And so as a pastor, that's part of the preparation. That's part of the encouragement is you're going to have trouble in this life. You just are. There are going to be difficulties. And it doesn't always come from circumstances like money, like we like to talk about. Oh, I wish I had more money. If I had money, that would take care. It it takes care of a lot of problems. When you have a bunch of money, you don't have to worry about a lot of things. There's other things to worry about, but it does take care of a lot of things. It's like miry mud, you know, gets you stuck. It's all you can think about. But more often than not, the more difficult problems and trials that we have in our life are people. They just are. Um, they can really do damage and they're really hard to get out of your head because they're, they live rent free there. You know, they do. They just live there and you try not to let them and you know, you're not supposed to, but there they are, you know, and David is having that moment and he doesn't know what to do with those moments. And he said, how do I get this out of my head? I bring it to the Lord and he may bring it to the Lord a lot, you know, continually. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, not anymore, but trusted, past tense, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me, looking for the disease, hoping for the disease to win. Ugly. Verse 10, but you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up that I may repay them. I don't know what that looks like. Those are okay prayers. 
<laughs> I think. <laughs> I don't know. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know, leave room for vengeance. And then he says, you know, it, maybe that could be your vengeance. Raise me up that I could pay him back. I smile because as much as I know the right thing to say here, I know what the right thing to say is here. But I know how I feel sometimes. I know exactly how David feels. Do you raise me up? Because I just want to go, I'm up, buddy. What do you think of that? I just do. There's something satisfying about the fact you wanted me dead. I'm not. Glad I could ruin your day and not die, you know? I don't know if that's terrible or not. Verse 10. Be merciful, raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that you are well pleased with me, because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen, amen. Now, that amen, amen will be consistent every time we finish one of the books. So the first book of Psalms has been completed. The next book of Psalms starts next week, 42 through 72. That's our second book of Psalms, and we'll, we'll begin that next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that David writes songs about these crazy things that are going on in his life. And um, he lays it out there for you. That's, that is how he, it's how he prays. It's how he copes. He gets these things out for everybody to read and to know. Um, it helps him. Um, God, I pray that you'd help us this morning. I pray for those that are oppressed. I pray for those who's surrounded by people that are looking for their failure, hoping for their failure. And I pray that you would raise them up. I pray that those who are looking at these people and saying, aha, aha, shaking the head, pointing the finger, I pray that you would raise them up to such heights that their enemies have nothing to say. And if they did say something, it would be a lie. That they could look upon these lives. And like David's hope was back in 40, Lord, I pray that they would see and that they would trust in you. That they wouldn't be even more embittered against the people that rise up and succeed, but they'd see your hand in their lives and desire that for themselves and be humbled by it. Be convicted by their their own wrath and venom. That they turn towards you and receive that healing that you can do in their heart to give them a new heart, to give them a new mind, to change them, Lord. We pray for all those that are so disappointed in Friday's decision. They're so enraged that they can't, never considering the person that would lose. And um, we just pray for that there would be a conviction, a change of heart. There would be a trusting in you. There would be an awakening that would take place in our country so that we don't have to legislate against it, but it just doesn't happen because people are following you so closely. So many people are saved that there's so much help and hope. There's so much love and life out there and light uh, in you, Jesus, that they wouldn't even consider these things. That's our, that's our prayer, Lord. And so help us to live out loud this week, as this will be a week that will cause many to shrink as believers, scared of the venom that will come their way if they open their mouth in support of what took, Friday, took place Friday. And yet this is the time to be louder than ever and, and more hopeful than ever. And we can explain more than ever and have conversations more than ever, God, in, with your truth, 
in your loving kindness, God. Help us to be bold. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good rest of the week. If you need prayer before you go, come on up. Be glad to pray with you.